Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the Childless Not By Choice podcast, where my mission is to recognize and speak to the Childless Not By Choice women and men around the world. Savilla Morgan here. I am spreading the great news that we can live a joyful, relevant, and fulfilled life, although we did not have the children we so wanted. I also welcome you even if you did not or do not fit the demographic. Maybe you did not want children or maybe you have children. Welcome to episode 126. And this is our February episode. And guess what, guys? We have a guest today. But before I get to our guest, I am so excited, you all. You'll see why in just a moment. But before I introduce our guest, I wanted to say a quick thank you to my patrons, my Patreon contributors. Thank you for your monthly financial contributions to the platform. If you are not yet a patron, join the Patreon family of monthly contributors by visiting patreon.com forward slash childless not by choice and set up your monthly contribution for as little as five dollars per month no matter your giving level i have a gift for you and if you prefer go on over to paypal you can give via paypal at books by Savella morgan at gmail.com that's books by Savella morgan at gmail.com either way thank you for your contributions they are appreciated and so we have a guest you guys when I first heard about this lady, I'm like, the title of her book just grabbed me and it intrigued me. And I was like, wait, I have to talk to this lady. I have to go, I've got to find out what this title is all about. <laughs> so Donna Ward is a writer, an editor, and publisher with qualifications in classics, economics, and social work. She worked in policy development welfare management and community development before establishing her private practice, which offered individual and group psychotherapy and organizational consultancy offerings, strategic planning, conflict resolution, which we probably need a lot of right now, research and report writing. In her retirement, she established the literary journal Indigo and the Micropress Inkerman and Blunt. Her prose has appeared nationally and internationally, including in the Griffith Review, the Huffington Post, and the Big Issue. Her memoir, She I Dare Not Name, A Spinster's Meditation on Life, is available now. And that is why we're here today to talk more about her book, She I Dare Not Name, A Spinster's Meditation on Life. Hi, Donna. How are you? Hello, Sibylla. I'm very well. Thank you. Awesome. It's so nice to finally get in contact with you. You reached out during my hiatus, I think. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> Thank you for your patience with that. <laughs> that's for that's fine. Everything comes in perfect timing. <laughs> yes, it does. So we can just jump right in here. I just, uh, I kept running your title around in my mind and I was like, why she I dare not name? So let's start there. Why Why that? She I dare not name. Who is she? <laughs> um, to be perfectly honest with you, I have to say I'm not quite sure where that title came from. I was, it is in a sentence in the book, and I was writing about that moment where my life was plunging toward, in a direction I uh, had not expected, had no idea I was going in or any idea about how to manage it. Mm -hmm. As I was writing that, I said something like, you know, falling towards the terrain of she I dare not name. 
And it sat there um, in the book for quite a while and the book was called something else mm-hmm. entirely. And uh, then um, I realised as I was writing the book and researching for the book in particular that a lot of the uh, material on being single is not about being a spinster. And a lot of the research, uh, even the collection of data, in both the US and, and but particularly in Australia, none of it identifies spinster. It talks about singles who are not yet married or singles who are living together apart or it talks about single parents. For a long time, uh, gay couples were seen as you know, if they didn't identify themselves as people didn't identify themselves as de facto, then they were put into the single category. But there's absolutely no historical data on spinsterhood. There's a little bit on bachelorhood, but not much on that either. Just gets all bundled into the idea of single. And I guess that's she I dare not name. Spinster is a cursed word. Um, I didn't want to think of myself as spinster. And so... There it is, she I dare not name. And as I was writing the book, I was realising clearly that I I entered the book writing as a single woman, uh, but then I I realised that I was going to have to use the word spinster to identify my particular life story from all of the other different single stories in the world. So, speaking of spinster... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you said the word. (laughs) I I can't believe I said it. It's okay. <laughs> it's like swearing for the first time. You realize that nothing happens afterwards. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, it's, I was oh, cringing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. So, did you get any feedback for using that word? Yes. I, I get two sorts of feedback. One is, I'm so glad you're reclaiming the word spinster. Mm-hmm. And I, I got the first time that was said to me, I got quite a shock because I don't consider that I'm reclaiming the word. If you if you reclaim a word, it's kind of like you're putting a gloss on it, making it better, or or making in this case a feminist statement of some kind. Whereas what I was doing was using the word uh, because I knew that if I used that word, and I still know that if I use that word, the person to whom I'm speaking knows exactly what kind of life I'm living. They're not going to confuse me with um, a divorcee who has grown up children and grandchildren who happens to be living alone. They're not going to confuse me with that. They're going to see my life. And as dark and as dismal as lots of people think that is, I can then, I have a door open to me to speak about what it, what a spinster life is. And sure, it's dark. There's a lot of prejudice around. But also there's there's a lot of richness and experience and it's as difficult in many ways and as joyful in, in many ways as uh, being coupled or having children. Mm. And uh, the other response I got was, um, was just simply this, why did she use that word? <laughs> yeah. But why did she use the word? This is friends reporting back to me that they loved my book and they were talking to their friends about it. And they said, well, that's all very nice, but why did she use that word? It's such a terrible word. To which I say it's eight letters in the English language. It started out as a really lustrous word, if you like. It identified women with means, women who worked and earned a living and were seen as women to marry, to couple with, because they were independent and, you know, came with a job 
and some money in their pocket, and that was a good thing. And Elizabeth I, so it was coined in um, or used in the 15th century. Um, and then in the 17th century, early 1600s, um, Elizabeth I died. But previously to that, when the word was uh, had a good kind of implications to it, yeah, uh, Elizabeth I was the Queen of England and that did make a difference. I think after she died, they started inventing dictionaries and this is when they decided to use the word specifically um, for people, for women who had of a certain age who had not yet married. And then as those women grew older, they became needy in some way and they needed brothers or fathers or sons of uh, nephews to look after them in their old age and uh, that was seen as a burden and they were despised for not contributing to society and, and being a burden on it. And after Elizabeth I, of course, we see the, um, you know, Diminu- the diminishing, sorry, a bit wordless that this is my age, um, diminishing of the uh, what we call the English Renaissance and incoming a much more conservative and um, puritanical kind of view of life and, uh, yeah, and all those struggles that Elizabeth was able to hold together in England, that struggle between the um, very conservative Protestant church and the more, um, shall we say, gregarious Catholic church, uh, you know, the Protestants were gaining some sway after she died. She was, wasn't was around to hold that very conservative view of the world and how women should be in it. Mm. So basically the word spinster just took a downward turn ever since. And yes, and it's got worse until now. <laughs> it's gotten worse. So, uh, on a side note, the people that are asking, um, why did she use that word? Are they mm. spinsters? Are they unmarried women? Or what's. I don't know, actually, to be honest with you. Um, I, my sense is that they're older women with children and a husband, an errant husband who's gone off with a younger woman. That's my sense mm. um, of who it is. But they're actually people not even in the state that I'm living in. So, you know, I was, it was reported to me, mm. um, okay. this response. I've had other, you know, face-to-face responses where women have said, oh, I thought that word was of past times, we don't use that word anymore because we don't live that life. And uh, to which I said, well, I, I'm living that life right mm-hmm. here in front of you. And they, one woman said, but I'm single too. And I said, oh, do you, so you have children? And, oh, yes, I have grown up children. My husband died or my husband went somewhere else or whatever that story is, or she never had or they never had husbands. And, and then I've had this other funny response because the, the book's been quite popular here in Australia and um, and so I've had women who are clearly not spinsters saying, oh, I'm a spinster too. Okay. <laughs> I just think, oh, okay, it's <laughs> good if you like that. <laughs> If you like it, <laughs> you know, they're not living the spinster life. They're living a single woman life or a, mm-hmm. an older divorced woman life. We did, they're very different stories, very different stories. I used mm. to have a co-worker that would say to something like that, she would say, if you like it, I love it. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. It's fun. yeah. Really? So, <laughs> my mom is gone. God rest her soul. Yes, she, yes. Um, I looked through her 
uh, marriage certificate. She got married. She, well, she would just kill me if she knew I was telling this, but she got married at 28. I think she was yes. 28 when she got married. And um, her marriage certificate said that she was a spinster. And I was just so upset over that. I'm like, 28? Really? And you were a spinster? Yeah. And she's yeah. like, well, I guess that's just what they said and you know, at that time. And by the way, just you know, to speak to what you said about who a spinster is, she was working before she met my dad. Yes. She was making her own money. You know, she was yes. doing her own thing, living her own life till yes. this gentleman showed up. So yes. pretty much like what you said, you know, but yes. yeah, she's like, well, I guess just, just the word they used at that time. And I'm like, and then I see it on your book and I'm, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> that word is, like you said, it's back. <laughs> it's back. Yes. And like that certain age has never been really defined and it depended on, it depends on the era in which you're living. And 28 in your um, mother's, ter- mother's um, time, 28 would be a little bit harsh, I would think even. So are we talking um, 40s and 50s, 50s and 60s, your mother, um, when she married? Yeah, six, she got married in 1965. Oh, okay. Well, that's just when the word was, be- well, when marriage was being um, challenged. And certainly in America, it's a surprising she got married because the marriage rate was just plummeting and everyone was very worried that people weren't getting married in America. Well, Not so much in Australia. She wasn't in America to interrupt. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I'm, I was born in the Caribbean, so my parents are, are West oh. Indian. Yeah. Oh, okay. So different. So a completely different culture that I don't really understand. I don't know anything about. Um, so I wouldn't be able to say anything, you know, so maybe 28 is an age there. It certainly in the 60s wasn't anywhere near the age. We were thinking more 30s here in Australia. And, you know, 30s, it seems to have stuck around 30s. Women are are expected to be married by the, their late 30s mm-hmm. here yeah, and I think or coupled, settled down, let's just say. Right. Yeah. And that's pretty much the same here now. Um, mm. the, the Caribbean, just quick, quick history is, um, yes. was, uh, you know, I, you probably heard the term, the sun never set on the, um, on the British Empire. Yeah. Because um, just about every country you can think of that's now independent, except maybe Scotland, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> <laughs> they're now independent countries but they were at one time ruled by england so yes there yes. are still um i guess vestiges of that in the caribbean yes. and on many of the islands so i could yes. see spinster being used back then because i yes. think it came from that you know yes yes we were different in australia australia's a very oh what can i say we're not we're not rebellious as much as we just don't follow the rules if we don't want to, um, and I think we were we were colonised by the British, and um, there was certainly a conservative attitude in the the ruling class. Let's say we think of ourselves as a classless society here, but there's certainly differences in people's lives. But we didn't have that kind of royal, you know, kind of hierarchy that. England has, but certainly the governors were um, of the British upper class. But a lot of we were colonised by prisoners, and a lot of the prisoners were Scots and Irish who who didn't come under English law, and didn't feel that they needed to 
do what the governor told them to. Um, and also, you know, in the settlement of Melbourne where I'm living now, we were given, it was a very um, interesting time in England where, uh, you know, slavery was being challenged and brought to an end and there was a very um, strong social justice and emancipated ideas of freedom like the French Revolution were happening in England. And England was instructing Australia very clearly to follow those sorts of ideas, but we just didn't. We just, you know, got rid of the Indigenous people and colonised any way we liked and killed whatever we liked and did whatever we liked. Mm -hmm. So, you know, because it's very, very far away even now. It's a bit Australia. It's very far away. But um, we had a very different foundation to our society here in Australia and that meant that when we had only a very brief period where traditional marriage and family um, was reigned if you like Mm -hmm. um, often our our settlers didn't formally marry they just shacked up they might have had children they had children because they had farms and they needed workers and by I think even my uncle was um, born out of wedlock his parents got married later a lot of that happened here in Australia and so when the 60s and 70s came and and marriage and family was um, up for grabs again you know being reconstructed we didn't have the same rebellion or concern that was expressed in the U.S. Uh, that's in in America. There was very strong concern that mm-hmm. family, was, traditional family, was breaking down, and that people weren't getting married formally um, in a church. That was a big concern. In Australia, we didn't care whether you got married in a church or not. We didn't care whether you went to church or if there was a church. You know, it's a very different kind of society here. And so I think talking about single life and um, even childlessness in Australia is actually very different. We think we're the same as America and the UK, but we're actually quite different. We look the same, but we're different. So yeah. let me take another turn before I, mm. I, I keep take. I do this a lot. Taking because, turns. <laughs> <laughs> because I have a, another, of course, I have several other questions, but let me stop yeah. and take a turn here mm. because I want to know if that's the history. Do they think that maybe you speaking about, or any woman who's speaking, because I know there are several Australian women who have platforms, childless not by choice, mm. platforms. How how does Australian society see women who talk about childlessness and singleness? Do they think, well, what, what do you mean? What, how, how do they see that? I, I still think that there's uh, judgments at personal levels, you know. I think officially we like people to be able to have the freedom to be who they are and live their lives the way they want them. However, I think in Australia... You've got to keep it nice. The conversations need to be kept nice. So if you're going to talk about the grief of stillbirth or IVF not working or um, all the different varieties of ending up without children, if you're going to talk about the grief about that, the dominant narrative is motherhood and mothering and it's really at that personal level where you will receive the 
the put downs or the I don't want to talk about it. You know, like I will certainly now I, I didn't experience grief at not having a child, but I did experience grief at not being chosen, if you like, or not find not it's not that's not right for me. Um, it was at not meeting the person. Um, and I was a bit picky. I didn't I did want men who had a bank account and a steady job. I know not much to ask, but there it is. Um, and someone who rocked my socks, you know. Um, so I, I, I was called picky for wanting such because, you know, many women will just have what's there. And being able to speak about um, what it was like or even trying to talk about solitude and how to manage it when you've got too much of it, these things were, they weren't taboo, although it felt like a taboo. It was just that the dominant conversation has to be the trouble about having children, how difficult that is. The dominant conversation has to be the trouble about having a husband and how errant he is um, or or your sexuality not matching the heterosexual, heteronormative, I believe is the term now, you know, heteronormative narrative. Uh, so when you're bringing in what's considered, um, I don't know that there's a, a judgment about it as much as they just don't want to talk about it. It's beyond their imagination. They haven't got the mechanism or the conversation, the response. They don't think about the fact that, women go through IVF and it doesn't work or that a baby is born and then dies in in the following months. They don't think about that because they're rare experiences um, in their lives, in the dominant culture's lives. They don't think about a woman like myself who's just continually found that that life is not open to me and had to come to terms with the fact that my life's going to be different and I need to work out how that happens and I can't actually have that conversation with my friend because, or friends, because all they have is a set of stock phrases, I think of them, borrowing a, um, a, a phrase from music, but a stock standard phrases about how the world goes. You'll find someone. I believe there's someone for everyone in the world. You are you are not a spinster. This is one thing I get a lot. You're not a spinster. You someone you'll find someone. I'm 65. I'm thinking that's not going to happen. And, you know, I've kind of I've had the door open for some time, but you know now I just think it's not going to happen, and so I need to live what is um, rather than what might be. So having those conversations with friends is, uh, has been very difficult and I've had to stand up for myself and woman up a lot to be able to say, look, you know, we need to talk about me mm-hmm. and how, how this real life is going for me. Yeah. So I think, I think it's pretty similar here because mm. there are still people who look at you like you have two heads when you say that you don't have children or that you're not married. I mean, it, it's happened to me. I think, it's, I think it's pretty similar here. They just, if, if you're not living that particular life, whatever that life is, you can't possibly um, think outside the box and think, well, wait a minute. I, it could have been me. They, nobody nobody yeah. that's got children and a husband could ever think, they, the first thought is going to be, well, something must be wrong with her. 
she must, <laughs> there's gotta be something wrong because like you said, somebody says um, every, there's somebody out there for everybody. When we, we very well know that if mm. we did the math, that couldn't mm. be possible. It's not mm. true. No, it's, <laughs> but, but it's everybody not. wants to, yeah, but everybody wants to just yeah. believe that. And like you say, use the stock phrases and try to unwind mm-hmm. from the conversation as quickly as they possibly can. <laughs> yeah. And another thing that people say here, and maybe they say in America too, is, and I th- it's the keeping it nice. The other phrase that they use is, I just don't want to think too much about things. You know, their life is challenging. I think having children and keeping jobs in a society where, you know, we no longer have jobs for the rest of our lives and we can't rely on income coming in and yet we have to have two incomes coming in to pay for a house, mm-hmm. all of these sorts of things. It's really challenging times. I wouldn't take that away from anyone with children, whether they're a couple or single. And so, you know, they're running from the minute they wake up to the minute they go to sleep and probably still in their dreams. Um, so they don't want to think very deeply. And when, as a friend, you say, look, you know, I'm, I'm very happy to sit and listen to all, you know, the struggle that you're having in your life, uh, but we need to have some time to talk about mine. I am placing a burden on that friendship. It's not in the code of friendship to sit with the darkness with each other. Friendship means almost exactly the opposite, that it's about the good time. It's about, you know, yes, turning up to funerals and weddings and things like that, but not not necessarily, you know, you're just lucky if you hit someone who is going to walk with you through something. But it's not part of the the contract um, between friends in the way that it's part of the contract with intimate relationships like mothers, sisters, fathers, you know, Mm -hmm. um, partners if you've got one. Uh, So putting that burden on a friendship is, you know, risking the friendship. Uh, If it works, it's good. Mm -hmm. You're lucky. And if it doesn't, then you know for next time. (laughs) Wow. It's it's tough, but I I, I, I think and I hope for all of us that we have at least that one person. Yes, it's tough to be married with children, especially in 2020. (laughs) Yes. It's crazy. We, we, we we're not taking anything away from that at all. Mm. I cannot imagine the homeschooling, the getting the computer set up, the crazy stuff that's going on right now. So Mm. I I, I totally, I get it, but there's gotta be some, for lack of a better term, quid pro quo. (laughs) There's something. Yes. But um, I I just hope that we all have at least that one person that we can talk to. I think in a way um, this experience, the variety of it, uh, of being single and childless, is beckoning a conversation about the importance of friendship and what friendship can hold. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, it is a brave woman who demands something of her friendship um, that hasn't otherwise, you know, previously been demanded. Um, And, you know, because you do risk the loss of it. Uh, And we, we know this because there is a narrative that talks about, you know, the close buddies, men and women, who are in each other's pockets until the one comes along. 
And we know that there's, I mean, there's literature, both popular culture and, and, and research and, you know, academic literature on the, the crack that happens in the friendship when the person that they're going to spend the rest of their life comes, comes along. When that romantic long-term relationship comes on, loyalties have to move. Mm-hmm. And that's what puts a strain on the friendship. And so if that friend happens to the, the friend who's being left in a way, abandoned in a way, uh, happens to never find a partner, um, then as has happened to me, I've had several close friends in my life to the point where I've had to decide not to ever get that deep because I keep losing them to someone else, mm. uh, and quite rightly so, but there it is. And it's it, it's not a big conversation uh, about how to manage that friendship and the importance uh, long term, um, how to hold a friendship and have an intimate partner and family at the same time. Uh, and, in fact, you know, to ask a coupled and, you know, parent to do that is um, it's a big ask <laughs> and it often is refused. Yeah. Well, uh, I know I know it's it may seem a little sad, but I mean we have to tell the truth because we never really know, you know, who's listening. And I think that this, this conversation is, is going to help many people because there are some things that no matter what country we live in, we just it's too painful to discuss. And I think this is one of those conversations. So I really appreciate that we're talking about this. Um yep. I took a a, a quote from uh where did i take it from i was it chapter oh was it the intro that i don't remember but it says you you'll know it's your book says, uh, well i don't know i've forgotten it <laughs> it says I, I write to shatter the stereotype that shadows me in a singular narrative a narrative that writes me out of my own society unquote and when i read that i was like whoa <laughs> that, was, that was deep <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking that's that must be like the rude commentary and questions we get from friends, family, and strangers alike, you know, Ooh. about our our status in in this yes. world, in our in society. That you yes. know, we have to explain ourselves because yes. we're single. I, I was called picky too by somebody who didn't even know me. It was a Ooh. friend of my mom's, my one a coworker. Ooh. And Ooh. I guess my mom must have told her I wasn't married whatever the conversation was. And she said, maybe I'm too picky. And mm. I'm thinking, first of all, <laughs> you don't know me. And second, I mean, somebody, like you said, a man that's working with a job with a bank account that yeah. can, I mean, that's not too much to ask for. <laughs> it's, it's really not. And no. I'm not for less. I've never, I've never thought about settling for less just for companionship and for, dare I say, the sex and the everything yes. that comes with it. I'm not going to do it. I'm just yes. not going to. Yeah. Well, you know, it's dangerous too. Uh, we have domestic violence rates in Australia, particularly during our lockdown lockdowns here that have skyrocketed. Mm. And um, we have a, a list of women who are killed every month by their partners or ex-partners as you do in America mm-hmm. and you know so to to decide to shack up with someone and have children is a big decision mm-hmm. and it, you could be risking your life 
and the life of your children. And that's not all of it. I mean, it's not just domestic violence. You do want a man with a bank account. If you're look, if you're going to have to be at home raising children, you need someone to bring, you know, bring home the bacon. Not only that, if you're going to go out and work, you need someone. Uh, you know, you need a system that's going to allow you to pay for childcare um, and health. And in America, you know, you're struggling to have the kind of health cover that we have. Um, but our government's, you know, pretty pretty much dedicated to unraveling what we've got as well at the moment, it seems. But, um, you know, there, it's a big decision to commit to another person for the rest of your life. And many people do it without thinking of the big implications. They wouldn't go into a business that is that risky. Right. Yeah, where they would lo could lose their lives and, you know, we call it sexually transmitted debt here mm -hmm. for divorce divorcees in this yeah. country. And divorced women come out the worst financially as well. Wow. So, you know, it's a big risk to get married, to couple, to have children. Right. And, and people do it every day. Yeah, without a thought, and um, and they blame us for not doing it, <laughs> right? Or that we're thinking too much about it. Yep, yeah. And I'm very mm. sorry, but I just, it just, I'm not, I'm not. Um, I, I don't think I've, I've ever said my age on my podcast. I'm not going to do it now, but I will just say that I'm over fifty, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's going to shock you. Don't look at people. I know people. Don't, don't look my age so it's gonna it's gonna show no. people but it is what it yeah. is so um, yes I, yes I, I still felt intrigued by your book though because I'm like you know I, I figure mm. I'm I'm headed that way it's not that I, I'm wishing anything negative or anything but I mean just no. think about it it's just it's a, it's a high possibility mm. that I'm not going to meet Mr. Wright and uh, if I mm. do meet him now what are we what what are we going to offer each other um is mm. companionship enough um mm. do I, I like my solitude i like i like i'm not an i'm not antisocial but i do mm. like my alone time so this person mm. whoever this man is i don't even i couldn't <laughs> even describe him to be honest with you yes. so before we continue i just wanted to um say and this is more for the listener that um, there is a review by a woman named Shelly McInnes, and I don't know if you've read her review or not, but I, I loved her review, and I put a link to it in the show notes for the oh, listeners. Oh, fabulous, fabulous. Yeah, I loved that. So, yeah. Um, who else? Oh, and then I was also thinking, and I don't know if you're familiar with this um, organization, it, it was called Aging Without Children, but I think they changed their name to Aging Well Without Children. Have oh, you heard no. of that? No, I don't know. Okay, I think they're out of England. I I'm going to feel really badly, but I believe I know one of the founders. I think I've interviewed him. I don't want to mention the name in case I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure <laughs> that this gentleman that I interviewed is, is also one of the founders. But anyway, I put a link to um, their organization in here, or I, I will. I'll put a link in the show notes. But it's yeah. Aging Well Without Children. And mm -hmm. I thought about them as I you know, thought about you and the book and the title. Mm. And so what do you think, what do you think we can do to age well without children? I don't think it's with or without children. I think to age well is to have, um, if 
I think the most important thing is to accept that life is as it is um, and to be in a state of wonder about it all the time or as often as you can. I can uh, tell you a little story. I was driving down the street and I'd stopped at um, the intersection and it was work time, you know, peak hour traffic time and I was stopped at the lights and this woman was walking down the footpath toward the bus stop and she was just rearranging her skirt, a very ordinary kind of action, but that's kind of how life is. This ordinary action will occur and an incredible epiphany will just break through. I was sitting there and I was thinking about her rearranging her skirt and uh, being attentive to how she looked and I just started thinking about how much effort we put into worrying about how what the rest of the world thinks of us and how we look and how we should look and how we don't or, you know, who we are and how it doesn't fit. And, and I thought to myself, well, if I don't accept the way I am now, mm-hmm. if I don't accept the world the way it is now, and I know I've only got like 10, 15 years tops left. I'm 66 now, you know, so I'm looking at the, the last moments, if you like. If I don't enjoy this and stop trying to be something that I'm not, then when? <laughs> then when? And I think that's what ageing is. If if you don't go with the flow now, mm-hmm. then when? And that's what informs me every day. I, every time I find myself thinking, oh, I didn't do something or I'm not what I should be or anything like that, which I, I don't happen to think that very often anymore, but when I was more actively doing that, I started thought, if I don't relax into this now, mm-hmm. then when? These are the last few moments. To be alive is an incredible thing. I can't even get my head around the miracle of it, and I'm not even speaking in particularly religious terms here. Um, That's a whole other kettle of fish. What I'm thinking is every day I think human beings are remarkable critters. We're just picking up, you know, the coffee pot and pouring a cup of coffee. Monkeys don't do this, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have amazing skills, let alone building the buildings that we do and all the other things that we do in this environment that manage to damage us and we'll see the end of us in the end. But um, we are remarkable creatures and have done remarkable things, even the fact that I'm speaking to you, mm-hmm. that I can talk, that we can talk, listen, understand and, you know, share these sorts of experiences. That's a remarkable thing. Many other other creatures do not, the majority of other creatures do not do that as far as we know. I just think every day the fact that the wind blows and the sky is blue and that we can breathe the air so far so good uh, if we don't damage it too much, you know, right, the fact that right. this happens is is incredible enough. You know, if we don't relax into the wonder of that now, then when? Because it will be over and we will have missed it when we die. So that's how I think we can age well is to just just be in this world and and be wonder in wonder. In wonder. I I I love that. Then when (laughs) 
Yes. Love that. That's, yeah. I love that. That's beautiful. I'm, I'm thinking as you were talking, I'm thinking about, yes, not only the fact that we can talk and communicate with each other, but we are communicating with each other from the other side of the world. From oh, each I other. know. I mean, I am, I'm never, it never ceases to amaze me <laughs> that we can do this. This I is know. amazing to me. I know. And so, and it's tomorrow for you. <laughs> I know. And it's yesterday, well, it's I know. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. It's, it's quite incredible what we what we humans do. And right. look, it, there's a lot of de- darkness to what we do as well. Yes. And but that's even wondrous as well. And I often think, you know, um, we 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 like to. To keep it nice, as I was saying earlier, we don't want to talk about the dark side. But honestly, what is more awesome than evil? And I mean awesome not in a positive sense, but awesome, like it's awe, the kind of awe that darkness brings is is as remarkable as light. Light's easy to um, incorporate, you know, and to, to, to stay in. But to stand in the face of, and we're dealing with um, the fact that our special services uh, soldiers have committed uh, terrible crimes in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's very interesting watching the Australian psyche and how they do not want to talk about it officially. I mean, us on the everyday level, we're kind of going, oh, well, you know, that happens but it's been it's it's like such a shame to our national uh image of ourselves um so that the military are upset the the politicians are upset they're trying to hide information and i keep thinking but that's the awesomeness of war you know you engage in that kind of that kind of activity it's not going to be goodness and light there is never a right or just war all war is bad and terrible things happen and that's how bad it can be right. people can do heinous commit heinous crimes that is the other side the balance to existence is that's the other side of it and if we don't stand in awe and wonder of that now, then when? Mm-hmm. We will miss it after we die. We will have missed the entire experience. This is how to age well. I love it. Doesn't that. matter. Mm. Mm. Um, I know I probably should have asked you before, but mm. do you have the book there with you? Is there a portion of it that you could just a couple oh. sentences that you could read to us? You're very lucky. <laughs> Because I, like most people, have my computer on a pile of books and um, strangely enough mine's on the top. But it's actually not. It's uh, it's the um, proof copy that's on the top. I'll just read a little thing and thank you for asking me. It's a, a short, short essay uh, that's in the book. And I, I'm sorry, I haven't looked at the book. So it came out last March, so I haven't looked at it. I have to find the page for it. That's okay, I understand. Um, Here we are. Yes, it's it's just one paragraph. Okay, perfect. It's called Growing Up. You might remember it. Mm -hmm. Adulthood begins, I think, with bringing in the bins, rental agreements, pay slips and bills. It comes with cooking, washing, banking and paying tax. It comes with getting an education, getting to know your body and your mind, how your body works, how your mind ticks. It comes when tragedy tests your mettle, 
reveals your strength or vulnerability. It's there the day you know what you stand for, decide who you vote for, the day you hear your calling. There is no ritual, no ink or scarring to mark these mundane moments of maturity, but it's there when you know whether or not the person you love is the person with whom you want to share bringing in the bins. Hmm. That's it. That's... I'll just pop my computer on top of it again. <laughs> Thank you so much for reading that. That's, I mean, you guys, if you're listening, well, th- those of you listening, not if you're listening, of course you're listening, <laughs> but those listening, you know, please do check out the book because I was just, I, I was just, I don't know. It's, it, it just really hit me. It really, really oh. hit me a certain way. So I That's really, great. you know, uh, wish you many, many, many more sales on the book. Um, Thank you. I just have, <laughs> I'm going to ask you in a minute where we can, because I don't think I got your contact information, but just let us know where we can yeah. find you. But I wanted to ask you one more thing, and this is probably yeah. also really deep, but this is based on, you know, what I read, but mm. What do you, th- and I think maybe you kind of already told us, um, <sighs> what can the woman or the man who is enduring a particular type of loneliness, a deep loneliness that only someone who never married or had children would understand? How do they deal with it when they see it coming? Well, yes, you're right. I've understood it. Like it's an experience of being human. Open yourself to it and and go with it because you'll find yourself in it. And, you know, depression, despair, these are all the darkness. It's awesome. It's not pleasant. Um, Journal through it. Get yourself a therapist. Um, You know, do what you need to keep your day, your the world turning while you go into the dark wood. Read Dante, um, Dante's Inferno. The, it, read that. Read um, anyone who's talking about depression, William Starr. And actually I've got a little section in the book on exactly this and also some suggested reading in the background. But really you need to make to do two things. Go with it and make sure you've got supports, you know, make sure you've got supports because and and do what's important for you to get through it. But be open to the experience because it'll grow you up. (laughs) It'll make you into a full human being, and that's what we all want to be. (laughs) Right. I think I always say that on the podcast, um, look it right in the eye. Look look the fear directly in the eyeballs. Don't look away. Don't look away from it. But um, I really, really appreciate your time today. Donna Ward, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Can you tell the listeners where, I know the book is obviously on Amazon, but yes, find you and find your book, you know, your contact information. So a couple of ways. My publisher is Alan and Unwin, but if you put Donna Ward, uh, she, I dare not name the publisher's you know, website will come up. You can purchase directly from there. Booktopia and also my own website, which is donna-ward.com.au. That's donna-ward.com.au will take you to my publisher's website as well. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you again so much for taking the time. My pleasure. I hope that everybody enjoyed this as much as I did. This was, I I probably said this maybe once before, but this was a pretty cerebral 
interview, if I do say so. <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. It it's a very un-Australian to think of cerebral as uh, a compliment, but I know what you mean. Thank you. Yes, and yes I'm, I'm, I'm hoping everybody does because it really makes you think and it just makes us look inward. And that's yeah. what I, I think of when I think cerebral. It's making me look inside. Oh, great. Inward. So yeah, thank good. you very much, Donna Ward, for, for taking the time. And um, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Yes, thank you. Episode, um, please feel free to send feedback. I would love to hear back hear from you all. And until next time, have a great one. Thanks for tuning in. Bye. Thank you, Sibylla. Bye.